Welcome to the Urbanist Agenda, the podcast where every six minutes isn't good enough. I am Jason from Not Just Bikes, and I'm joined today by Reese from RM Transit. Hey, Jason. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for joining the podcast again, Reese. Of course. I've brought Reese on this time because he is our resident expert in public transportation. And today I want to do something that I don't do that often, which is to complain about Amsterdam. So, Reese, we want to talk here about mostly about the Amsterdam metro system, the subway. Yeah. Although I will get into trams. I know I won't be able to hold myself back from talking about trams. But tell us about the Amsterdam metro system. So Amsterdam has modest metro system. There are kind of, I would say, three lines, basically. They're kind of intermingled, but it effectively kind of operates like three lines. So it's not a very big system. But Amsterdam, I think people often forget, isn't that big of a city. So the size is reasonable, I suppose. But it's a bit of a weird system. Like it's not shaped like a regular metro. It doesn't really provide a service like a lot of metros. It's a lot of it is above ground. So it's a weird and wacky system. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so I have my own issues with the Amsterdam metro. There's some weird gaping holes in it. And I think I'll put a link to the map for anybody who's not familiar, because if you look at the map of the Amsterdam metro, anybody can look at it and be like, that's a bit weird. I wonder why it's like that. Uh, yeah. I guess the first thing that you really notice is that there's a lot of overlap here, right? Yes. It's like this metro system was designed so that nobody would ever need to transfer. Yeah, it's a really strange way to design a metro system. But I think the idea is just to kind of provide downtown service from a lot of locations. But it does kind of miss the point of a metro, as you're saying. So, like, they seem to have taken this approach that, like, a transfer is the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah, and that's not how metros are supposed to work. You're supposed to have a really high frequency, and then it should be convenient to transfer because you're waiting one or two minutes at a station, and you get on your next train, and you're off. And that hints at one of the issues here with the Amsterdam metro is that the frequencies are really not great. The main metro lines come about, and we're talking rush hour here, every 10 minutes. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, I think that that's also it's kind of the cyclical thing. When you run it so infrequently, then it's like, oh, well, we wouldn't want to make the people going out to this line or this line wait too long. So I guess we have to provide them a direct service. Whereas if you were to rearrange things, you could probably provide the same station services, but more frequently, but people would have to accept transferring. Right. I mean, and that's fairly normal, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like I think about so many metro systems that I've ridden in the world and they'll have lines. There may be a little bit of duplication through the center or something like that just so that the duplication of lines can provide more service. And that does happen here in Amsterdam. Like if you've got, you know, for example, going into Central Station, you've got three lines running every 10 minutes. Well, you know, that's going to be more frequent service along that duplicated section. Yeah, exactly. So there's been some talk here about changing this, actually. And I'll have a link in the show notes for that, too. And we'll get into a whole bunch of the changes, potential changes, things they're talking about doing a little later. But they're talking about getting rid of one of the metro lines completely, effectively merging line 53 and line 50, so that now a transfer is necessary and people are kind of upset about that. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of your fundamental thing, right? Is that the network is set up in this way that everyone gets a one seat ride and then it becomes hard to change it because everyone, you know, people just naturally resist change, even in the Netherlands. And so the idea of making people change trains is just 
audacious, even when it can be done pretty easily. I think there's a cross-platform transfer between the kind of southeastern branches, right? Yeah, there is indeed at the Vander Medevac station. Yeah, that's actually really good design, but you don't get to use it if you're if you're not transferring. So I think it's a good move. It's like best practice to get rid of the duplication so each line can run more often for a metro at least. But yeah, people are going to push back. And I think that's really common around the world. Like you can see all kinds of systems where they have simplified the routes. Like I think BART in the Bay Area. This has definitely happened in London before. In New York, certainly to some degree, you know, route simplification happens so that they could run services more often. And people go, oh, no, I mean, my train is going to be less often now. But it's like, well, okay, so you take one of the more frequent ones, you change and everyone's better off. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's impossible to change a transit system without some people being worse off, I guess. I mean, it depends on what the changes are going to be. But again, I guess the trick is whether the frequencies are going to be raised enough to be able to make the transfer less of a pain. Because if you have to transfer and you just miss a train and you got to wait 10 minutes, that kind of sucks. Absolutely. And I think that that's actually one of the things you can do when you have these cross-platform transfers. And they certainly do it in German cities quite a bit. I think in Munich, there's a number of places this happens. But when you have a cross-platform transfer and you have lines when they're not operating frequently, so maybe late at night or something like that, you can have the Mm -hmm. train just wait on the other line until a train comes in on the parallel line so that people get that convenient transfer. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, I've read the newspaper articles about it. I mean, the news always tries to find the most angry people to talk about whenever this kind of thing happens. So the headline in AT5, for example, is that 30,000 passengers will now need to change who didn't need to change before. And then they interview like some woman who walks with a walker who says she can never catch the transfer across the platform on time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a case of highlighting one half of this equation. 30,000 people need to transfer, but the hundreds of thousands that ride the Amsterdam Metro every day all get better service. (laughs) As a result, it's just giving you half the equation and not framing it in really an honest way. And I think that's it's really bad because it makes it hard for transit systems to change and kind of make themselves better. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, part of the other problem with this is it comes along with a package of changes that are happening, as they say, because of cost reduction. Mm. So, you know, this is a story that's heard all around the world. And I'm sure you've heard this from other cities as well, that after COVID, transit ridership was way down and there was a lack of funds coming in from ticket revenue. And now everything needs to be scaled back. But what are other cities doing about that? Well, I think that there are tending to move towards more of an all-day high-frequency model. And I actually think you could apply that in the case of Amsterdam, as we're talking about, right? Like Mm -hmm. you see in, for example, a lot of U.S. cities, actually, that, you know, they're not starting from the same point as Amsterdam. But what they are doing is when they used to run much higher frequency at rush hour, they're starting to kind of distribute that throughout the day instead. And I think that, you know, Amsterdam could do the same thing. And it could also reform the network layout. Because if you have less people who are kind of rush hour commuting, maybe traveling to the city center or any other given location is a little less important than just being able to get anywhere in the city faster. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the issues that they're running into as well here is the issue of a lack of staff. Like just during COVID, a lot of people lost their jobs in transit, for example, and just went and found jobs elsewhere. Yeah. It's a big problem. I don't know how deep this comparison can run, but Amsterdam's all-time rival up to the north, Copenhagen, has solved this problem to an extent by automating their metro system. It was actually, it was always automated. But it does make me wonder for like 
the newest line on the Amsterdam Metro, I don't think it kind of shares tracks with any of the old Metro lines, right? No, it's completely independent, completely independent line. So why not automate that? That seems like a very, like, that's something that they would do in the Netherlands, right? Because they don't want to have five people running the train, they kind of going for the efficiencies. So it's surprising to me. That was one of the things that really, really surprised me. So M52 is the line we're talking about. This is what's called the Nord-Zoud line. I find the names also very strange <laughs> of the lines. It has to do with the trams, I think, right? The trams go up to some sort of number, or do you know what the deal with the metro numbers is? Well, I mean, they're all just in the 50s. Yeah. That's what they've decided to make them. I am not sure why 52, there was a gap there. I don't know the history, but there's a 50, 51, 52, 53, 54. So that all makes sense. Sure. Now they're going to be basically getting rid of the 53. So now you've got 50, 51, 52, 54. Yes. So I don't know if there's a, another historical reason that there was a 52 in previously and now it's back. But I mean, the numbering is just that the 50s are the metros, basically. There used to be a line to Amstelveen that yes. was called the Amstel Tram, and it ran yes. from Zoud. Zoud. Zoud, yeah. Zoud, that's Zoud. correct? Yeah, that's closer. Weird, <laughs> weird names Netherlands has. It used to run. These... It's a different language, you know. Yeah, I, I know. But it's a, always, you know, this is going to be a hot take for this podcast. Dutch is a funny language. You know, I just find it, there's a lot of, ooh, and nah, wah, and like a lot of funny sounds in it. So sorry, Dutch folks, your language is amusing to me, but I do love the Netherlands. So forgive me. I do have some problems with my pronunciation. My Dutch accent is still quite thick, although my Dutch is getting quite good. But I do have problems with the UI, the oud, like yeah. the zoud. I can never quite say it properly when I'm, well, ever, but especially when I'm speaking in a sense. The other one is the EU, the ou. Which yeah, I just can't do. It's <laughs> challenging. Well, they used to have basically a tram line that came from Amstelveen that actually went into the metro back in the day. Yes. And when they had that, the metro looked even weirder on the map. It was just like all these legs spidering out from yeah. no central location. But so maybe that was the 52. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. That was here when we were in the city because I remember it had the really cool thing at Zoud where it would come in on third rail and then it would change put the pantograph up yeah and then it would take off down to Amsterdam. so that actually has been replaced by a tram mm. which i actually think is a better solution to be honest and it's fully separated from traffic signal priority and it goes from zoud at a different location and goes down into Amstelveen. and they're actually extending that farther that's going to open in the very near future if people want to look that up it has the unique name amstel tram <laughs> yeah, the Amstel tram. I actually think, yeah. And if you want to learn more, go check out my video on Amsterdam Metro because I talk about it a bit, I think. Yeah, the Amstel tram extension actually out to Outhorn is going to open very soon. So that's probably going to be an RM Transit videos at some point in time. Yeah, it will be actually. Back to M52. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yes. And we will talk about the trams in a second. But the M52, let's get back to that. So we moved here in, in 2018, which is when the M52 opened. So brand spanking new. Mm. And I was very surprised by a few things. It's not cut and cover. It's, you know, tunnel boring. Mm. It way over budget, way over time, as these things tend to do. It is not automated, which I thought was weird. Mm. Because I'm like, you know, you were having, well, I mean, certainly since Corona, they didn't know that at the time, but they were having staff shortages before that. As they do in most developed nations, the driver is one of the most expensive parts of the whole thing. Uh -huh. 
of the operating. And so it was very strange decision not to automate it. There's no platform screen doors. But the thing that annoys me the most is that the frequency of it, even at rush hour, is every six minutes. And I talked about that once in a video and people were like, what are you talking about? Six minutes is great. I don't think six minutes is great. Tell me how you feel about every six minutes in rush hour. To me, it's way too infrequent for a metro system, right? Like metro systems are, they're different from other forms of transit. I think every form of transit, different types of services make sense, but different frequencies as well. But for a metro, you need it to be frequent, like for it to do its job. And to let you kind of go around the network easily, you need to be able to kind of show up on the platform and there's a train in a minute or two showing up at most, you know, maybe four minutes. So what is a typical frequency that you see in a city with a decent metro system? You know, not the best, but an average metro system. What kind of frequencies do you tend to see at rush hour? I would say every four minutes would be like decent, not great. Right. And maybe even every three minutes would be a pretty typical headway. Like, you know, you're not waiting very long. And the best systems don't drop off a lot out of rush hour. So you're still only really waiting about three minutes. Right. And so if I'm looking at this currently, it runs 10 times an hour. So that's every six minutes in rush hour. And then it goes down to eight times an hour during the day and in the evening. So it never goes below eight. But I don't know. To me, that's just not great frequencies. Because I think about, like, for example, Toronto, right? Mm -hmm. Line one. They're installing the automatic train control. Yeah. And how often are trains going to run there? Because it's been a while since I read this, so I don't know where it landed. It's all wrapped up, actually, now. And Hmm. service was cut back a bit during COVID. But now it's running about every three minutes all day. And it really doesn't get cut back much at night. So even at night, you're waiting at five minutes at the most. And Toronto is not even the best in the world at this. But it's definitely better than Amsterdam on that metric. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, I guess if you've got this philosophy that you're only going to have a single seat ride anywhere you go, then 10 minutes could be okay. Six minutes could be okay. But M52 is the one line that doesn't actually go to any other location on the network. It just uh, ends at Zaud, right? Zaud. Zaud, yeah. Yeah, it's... it's so <laughs> well, don't it, let me tell you yeah, how to pronounce, pronounce Dutch. But. South. It ends at South Station. South. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that doesn't make sense. And this is why I really do like the Copenhagen Metro model. The trains in Copenhagen are tiny, and the trains in Amsterdam are actually big. They're like similar size to the ones in Toronto. But the Toronto subway moves like seven times more people every day. So they do not need the same size of trains. What they should have done, they should have gone with a really small train. And actually, Amsterdam has some of the biggest trains in Europe in terms of a metro system, despite not being the biggest city in Europe by any means. And when you have the smaller trains, it just naturally forces you to run them more often because you just can't meet the demand if you have a train every 10 minutes. Right. I mean, to me... A public transit system in general is all about its frequency. Like, I want to not have to think about when I show up. And I get it. Every six minutes, you don't have to think about it. You just show up. But it's still annoying to get there and have to wait doing nothing for six minutes when the whole ride is only going to be about like 10 or 12 minutes, right? That's the issue exactly. With the metro system, you're on it for such a small amount of time. That doesn't work. In Switzerland, you can get away with a 30-minute frequency because the train ride is probably pretty long and your transfers are lined up. You don't have that on a metro. Well, this is the thing when it comes to frequency. I remember when I mentioned that six minutes wasn't good enough, there were people like, I have buses that only come once an hour. I'm like, but that's a bus, right? And then once an hour is not good enough for a Uh bus, obviously. But I think you can look at frequency of different 
types of public transit. You can go to airplanes. They don't have to come every six minutes, right? Uh, it's okay, okay that the airplane only leaves every few hours. And then you go all the way down to the fastest, which is the elevator. And you don't want to wait six minutes for an elevator, uh, right? And people get upset if they're waiting more than about a minute and a half for an elevator. And I think then there's a spectrum in between of frequencies that people expect. But Metros are certainly right up there with nearly elevator yeah, level absolutely. frequencies. Right? I mean, they're horizontal elevators, basically. Yeah. And I mean, that's such a great way of looking at it. So the thing is, with a metro, you're supposed to be completely separated from everything. You're either underground, like as in the case of the M52, or you're above ground, like the rest of the Amsterdam metro, most of it anyway, not all of it. So there's nothing to get in your way. It's just, it's supposed to run basically as fast as it can. There's no limitations there, right? No, absolutely not. And I think the best practice is to design for maximum frequency. So they have that whole line, the M52. It has two tracks. There's no reason it couldn't run way more frequently. And the example I like for that is Paris, where on line 14, also line one and a couple other lines, at the peak hour, they schedule trains like 80 seconds apart. You can go on RATP's website and look at how right. it's like. Oh, my God, there's multiple arriving in the span of a couple minutes. I mean, I think that should be what people should expect. And if they get less than that, maybe there's reasons, good reasons to have less than that. Maybe there's bad reasons like not having enough funding or something or drivers to have less than that. But I think that should be the goal. Yeah, like that's where we should all be moving. I don't think we should be sitting at six minute, 10 minute frequencies and being like, yes, this is okay. Absolutely. I mean, that makes sense for like a suburban train, maybe like six minutes is pretty good for a suburban train. But for a metro where you've spent so much money on the tunnels and on this complete separation, you want to be putting the train through really often. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, the M52, like it's a beautiful metro for what it's worth. The stations are great. They have like wonderful art there. It runs very efficiently and it's nice. You want the art because you're going to have lots of time to look you're at you're going to be it. waiting <laughs> six minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, have something to look at. <laughs> but yeah, it did surprise me. Now, from what I understand in some of these changes that are coming, they're planning to increase the frequency of the M52 in rush hour. Anyway, not outside of rush hour. I don't know what they're going to increase it to. Maybe a listener who knows this can tell me, send me a message on Mastodon or something, but like... I looked through so many documents from GVB and I could not tell what the new frequency was going to be. But, you know, at least they're going to improve it. But my fear is that it's going to be, you know, five minutes or something and say, yes, we've done it now. We've got it. Yeah. If I was running the system, I'd order trains that are half as long for the next go round. And then I'd, I guess, automate it, <laughs> but or find a lot more drivers and get them running more frequency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the trick with getting more drivers. I mean, the train system, the Nederlandse is also desperate to get more drivers. And I know this because they contacted me. I made a YouTube short about a thing they were doing to encourage more people to apply for train driver. Business. Oh, I thought you were going to say that they contacted you about being a driver. To be a train driver? Yeah, because they're like, well, this guy's in the Netherlands. He likes trains. Yeah, you trains. love trains, man. Right? Why don't you drive them? Come on, man. They're awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not quite. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, the other thing with the Amsterdam Metro that you immediately notice is it goes up around the left and it terminates at Isolaterweg and then it's Central Station kind of on the middle, I guess. And there's a gap between those two. In reality, that gap is not that big in terms of like the space, mm. but it really feels like they should just connect that. And I know that a lot of people have talked about that in the past. Be like, why isn't it connected and made into a circle line? Yeah, I mean, 
I guess what they'd probably say to you is that's where all of the NS lines run, kind of from yes. the west into central. But yes. it's just silly. It's like, okay, how much is that tiny extension going to cost? I think maybe the 51, 54, 53 station at central maybe is difficult to extend from there. Like it's blocked by the 52 or something. But it's right. just like, come on, build the circle line. It would be very useful because going from the west to the east could be quite a pain right now without having it. I guess the trick is there that you take a NNS train from Leililan or from Slaughterdyke, right? Mm. Because that is one of the other things is that Amsterdam has a lot of train stations, like heavy rail intercity train stations. Yes, and I think that's kind of what makes the metro kind of weird is that it did kind of get fit in around all of these existing services. And so people might argue that, hey, you don't really need a metro because you have so many existing trains that you can take. And I actually think that they're kind of right because so much of the Amsterdam metro is above ground. So I think of the benefit of a metro being you put a tunnel in and it's hard to put a tunnel in for a big train that would run on a regular train line. And so the 52, the north-south route, is basically all underground. Yeah, except in the north, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. So it's in underground in like central Amsterdam. The south, it yeah. also comes above ground. But that's how you expect a line to be. And then all of the other lines, a lot of them just run next to the NS trains, but kind of make more stops. And so yes. they're not really, it's like a weird system in that way. Yeah, I mean, they do connect very well to the various train stations. Dwebendrecht, is that pronounced? Uh, Dwebendrecht, yeah. Well, Dwebendrecht and Bielmarina, Hollendrecht, Rye, Zoud, Leyliland, Sloterdijk, Central, Amstel. I think that's all the ones connected by the metro. I mean, there's a couple others. So there's Mauderport, Science Park, and Demon hmm. that are not connected by the metro. But that's a lot of train stations to connect by the metro. And I guess the logic there is that you can come in by train or you can go metro and then go to train. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be overkill on the mainline trains because they can go pretty fast if they don't have to make a lot of stops. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, in the area of like going from Zoud to Schiphol Airport, when we show up and we're going, we usually bike to Zoud Station because it has very nice bicycle parking garages and is relatively close to our house. And then we go out to Schiphol Airport. You can take like heavy rail trains and they're coming basically constantly because that strip is so commonly used that trains are running constantly. There's no airport express here. There's no point because <laughs> there's going to be a train within three to five minutes that's going in that direction anyway. Yeah, it's the main line through the country, basically, from Zaud mm -hmm. to Schiphol. So you can take yeah. trains that go to Rotterdam, et cetera, and beyond at that route. What is interesting, though, is that there are plans underway to extend the N52 to Schiphol. Yeah, I remember these, but it sounded like it's still unclear what's going to happen with that. So the logic from my understanding is that the heavy rail line there between Zoud and Schiphol is so ridiculously congested mm -hmm. that they want to run more trains through there and they're having problems there. They want to move some of those passengers who take the train to Schiphol and move them to a metro so that they can bring that capacity back for other trains, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And at the same time, I feel like from my last experience in Amsterdam, it's easier to use the metro than to use NS. Like as an outsider, it just felt more legible to me. So right. I think that having us just be like, get on the metro and you can get to your, and I mean, it's just got more coverage of the city of Amsterdam. So yeah. it is actually for visitors, probably a better option. And as you know, there are a lot of visitors in Amsterdam. <laughs> yes, 
Actually, this is one of these things that was very frustrating to me. Well, okay, I'll get to why it's less of a problem now, but it was frustrating to me when people would come to Amsterdam and they'd land in Schiphol and they'd be like, okay, well, how do I get downtown on public transit? How do I get to the center on public transit? And then I was like, well, you got to take a heavy rail train. So you got to go get a ticket for that. And then you have to get a different ticket for the metro system once you get here. Can you not just get like an OV chip card? Like, a, is there not like an easy, because this is a problem that some cities, you can't get like an easy visitor version of the card. So you can get a, like a guest OV chip card, but it's a bit tricky to do that. And also you have to pay, I think it's seven euros that you don't get back. So if you're only here for a couple of days, that's kind of annoying as well. Definitely. Yeah, that seems like something they need to sort out. Well, thankfully, they've sorted it out in a totally different way, whereas now you can just tap your credit card to pay for uh, everything. Even NS or just Metro? Yeah, even NS. Oh. I'm not through the entire country yet, but it's through most of it. Interesting. And that has been phenomenally amazing. Like I just had someone who was in town visiting yesterday and he was just like, this is like a game changer because he had been to Amsterdam many times before. But he's like, now I can just literally just tap my credit card. And I don't even need to think about it. I just look at the Google Maps directions or whatever, and I tap the card and that's it. And it makes it really easy to show people around the city because you don't have to have this awkward 15 minute, oh, yeah. we got to go oh. get the ticket. And, yeah. and it doesn't make it feel like, oh, this isn't very easy. Whereas with the credit card, everyone can get on right away. And the right. thing that's cool, too, is that as more cities adopt credit cards for payment or debit as well, which like Toronto has it now, New York has it, London has it, Toronto just got yep. it like a few weeks ago. Yeah, they just got it. I was there uh, just a couple of weeks ago and we came back from Montreal where ticketing is it's messed <laughs> is up. a real problem. Yeah. And then that day that I arrived in Toronto, they said, hey, you can pay by your credit card now. And it's like you have a universal card system across the whole world as long as yes. you adopt that system. So it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And actually, I made the previous podcast with Urban Caffeine about why more cities should be doing this. So you can go back and look at the open transit payment podcast if you'd like to hear more about that. But back to the Amsterdam Metro. Yes. One of the reasons why the Amsterdam Metro was frozen the way it was is because building the Metro did not go well no, in the 1970s. It did not. Amsterdam is a muddy place. Well, there were a lot of problems. And there were other problems as well. Yeah, there were a lot of problems. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually surprised they were able to tunnel the M52. I mean, it must be a testament to modern construction methods because Amsterdam is very muddy. It's hard to bury stuff here. That's one of the reasons why there are very few skyscrapers here until recently. But it was worse because Amsterdam in the 60s, like a lot of cities in the 60s, was dealing with proposals to drive highways right through the center of town. And that was also going to happen in Amsterdam. There were several plans to do that. And some of it was even built. There were a bunch of neighborhoods that were bulldozed in order to build what is now known as Vibaustraat. And I have a video about that on Not Just Bikes, if you're interested in hearing about how they're trying to close their busiest road. But there were a lot of protests around that. But the metro plan still went forward. But the metro was a cut and cover metro there. And they were also bulldozing neighborhoods to build it. And the protests got so out of hand that eventually people rioted. Yeah, the new market station. I believe, has like a thing that memorializes those, correct? Yeah, it was called the Newmarked Riots. And there is a memorial there for this is where the destruction stopped, I think is what it says. At this point is where the destruction stopped or yeah. something like that. Because then they were like, okay, we, we cannot just bulldoze through the center of historic Amsterdam, cut and cover style, all the way to the central station. 
Like, I can't even imagine what that would look like. I mean, Vivostrad is, is pretty crap. It's got 1960s buildings on it. It's way too wide. It's got all these problems, which is why the city's trying to effectively close it or at least make it significantly smaller. But I remember reading when I was doing some of that research on Vivostrad that the mayor of Amsterdam was quoted as saying there will never be another metro built in this city again. Yeah, that's why you have to be careful about leveling people's neighborhoods because yeah. it turns them off of something that might actually be good ultimately. Obviously not the leveling of neighborhoods, but that's why you have to be sensitive <laughs> about it because, and I think people don't get this, but transit, you know, like it can be like highways in that way. It's big infrastructure. Yep. It can be highways. Yep. It could be a sewer. Could be a giant Netherlands themed water park slide. It could really be anything. You have to be sensitive and sometimes it costs more, but you know, getting out the boring machine might be the best solution. Yeah. And that's obviously what they went and did with the M52. But then it went basically from the 1960s through until the 2010s before anything happened on metros here because of those riots. Yeah. Those kind of things, they have lasting impacts. And I think. Any city that has had a situation where there was something built or there was almost something built, it leads to a lot of society is just very skeptical. Sometimes it's good. I grew up in Vancouver and there were a ton of protests about highways happening in the city, you know, back in the late 20th century. And as right. a result, no real highway was built in the city just some stubs and stuff. And it's been removed. And I think that it's just unthinkable now that you would ever build anything because it's like, well, we didn't back when cars were really going wild. Why would we do it now? <laughs> and for transit, you just do not want that to be the thing. Yeah, that's the last thing you want is for people to say, we don't want subways here. Exactly. And Vancouver is like one of like pretty much the only major city in North America without a highway going through the center of it. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Pretty much every other major city does have one. There is only one highway in the city of Vancouver, and it only cuts through kind of a corner of the city. It should be noted too, Vancouver, another city where the metro runs about every three minutes on average. So right. Amsterdam's got some work to do on that. <sighs> really does have some work to do. So I think there's kind of two reasons why the metro is not more frequent other than some of the things we've talked about already. I think one of them is the impact of bicycling. So all of the area that's serviced by the metro, you can maybe with the exception of Zaud Ost, sure. like way down in the suburban area in the southeast, you can easily, easily cycle this. I mean, you can cycle anywhere in the city. It's safe everywhere you go, literally everywhere to the right to the edge of the city. It's safe. Yeah. And so the public transit here does need to compete, as it is, with the idea of being able to get on your 50 euro bike and go there for free. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is that, and this is why the frequency is important, as you say, you can get on your bike kind of just like you can get in a car right away. Yes. Whereas you yes. have to wait six minutes to get moving with the metro. And how far can you bike in like six or seven minutes, right? Because you got to get down to the platform too. Yeah. You can go pretty far, even on the metro network and like 10 minutes if you're cycling along. So it does struggle to compete with such low frequencies. Yeah. Well, I mean, the trick is too that Amsterdam is a relatively compact mixed use city. Definitely. And so it's pretty rare that your cycling journey to anything is going to be more than about 15 minutes. Yeah. So it ends up just being for people who need to randomly go like halfway across the city or for the yeah. places in the Southeast that are quite isolated from the rest of the city. Right. I mean, you can still easily cycle out there. I've done it before. I have a 
a video on the Not Just Bikes channel from years ago where I cycled out to Ikea, which is basically as far out as you can go in Amsterdam, but mm -hmm. it's not, it's still going to take you half an hour, you know, 40 minutes. Yeah. I'd rather sit on a train, to be honest. Definitely. And then that's where the train can be a good, useful resource. Right. I think the other thing that is sometimes missing when people look at the Amsterdam Metro is the tram system. And so we talked about the Amstel tram and how I think actually that's probably a better solution for that area than the pseudo Metro was. Yes, absolutely. The one thing I find with the trams in Amsterdam is they are very, very extensive as to where they go. They go all over the city. Some of them go almost right to the very edge of the city out in the West, for example. And because they have transit signal priority and because you don't need to go down into the station and back out when you get there and because a stop is likely to be closer to you than a metro stop because they're farther apart you can actually get surprisingly good service just with the tram network here absolutely yeah no it's a really solid tram system and quite a historic one yeah indeed i mean they were one of the cities that was lucky enough not to tear out their trams in the 1960s i know for example like copenhagen did tear out their trams and now it's such an interesting thing because it really was a global phenomenon. And even in Europe, a lot of cities did not keep them like Paris, yeah. for example, didn't. And I think the cities like Amsterdam and Toronto, for that matter, that kept their trams benefited hugely from having this core that was served by this really local form of public transit. That is, it's local, but it's not a bus. It doesn't have a lot of the downsides of a bus. Yeah, I mean, trams are still my favorite form of transportation. And I'm going to have to make a video about that with my love letter to trams. I think they are the best. But <laughs> so I do actually really, really enjoy the tram network here in Amsterdam. And I think that also, well, as you said, they didn't tear it out. And I think if I look at any of the great cities in the world, the ones that have the biggest leg up on good urbanism are the ones that didn't take out their trams. Yeah, no, for sure. A lot of great cities. More than anywhere, you can see it in Berlin, right? Yeah, Where definitely. East Berlin kept all their trams, but then West Berlin, that was, you know, the Americans in there, tore them all out. And you can see a massive difference there. In Berlin, you've got the line there of like, tore out the trams, didn't tear out the trams. Yeah, and in Australia, you know, between Melbourne and Sydney, it definitely yeah. changes the urbanism when you have trams. Like it just allows yeah. something that you can't have in a city that doesn't have that really good local transportation. Right. So the other thing I did mention a little earlier is that GVB, GVB, the organization that runs the public transit in Amsterdam, put out a list of changes that they were planning on making in 2024 which involved a huge number of service cuts. Now, uh, <laughs> I know, right? I mean, this is that story that we talked about already that it's, you know, COVID comes along. Nobody's taking public transportation anymore. There's a huge gap in fare revenue. And GVB, from my understanding, I don't know if you know the numbers off the top of your head as a transit wizard, but their fare box recovery, I believe it's 90% paid for by ticket sales. That's what I was reading online. It, it's something up there in the high double digits. Like it is a very high fare box recovery. And I think yeah. that that's, you know, like there's a dual thing with that. When you have a high fare box recovery, it means you're efficient with your operations, which is really important because if you're efficient, that means you can provide more service with the funds you have. But it also might mean your fares are high because to recover more money, you charge higher fares. And so you want that balance. But at the same time, you don't want it to be like, oh, you get so much funding, 
that now you're running empty vehicles or you're not providing a very effective service. And so right. it's good that they're at a high fare box recovery. But when the system is going to be cut back, that's when you do need to do a cash infusion so it doesn't collapse. Well, that's the trick, right? I mean, the thing is, this could trigger a death spiral, right? I mean, they're even talking, they've backed off. And for what it's worth, from what I've seen, they've totally backed off on this and said, we're going to reconsider. Right now, there's no plans to cut anything. Let us reconsider this. But the plans that they put out even involved getting rid of one of the tram lines completely. Tram 19 was just going to be gone. Yeah, that's really bad. That's building a highway through your city center bad, honestly. (laughs) Getting there, yeah. The capacity (laughs) is like basically the same, which is a huge indictment of highways because the tram is like, almost people think of them as like almost toy-like. They're tiny little things, but they just move enormous amount of people. They really do. Trams move a truck ton of people when they're done correctly. Yeah. So it's like getting rid of one is really screwed up. And like, what did the US do before it started building highways everywhere? It killed all of its tram system. Yeah, it moved the trams, the people on trams to buses. And then they're like, well, now we're all on buses. Let's tear off the tracks. And then, you know, there it goes. Yeah. So you do not want that. I was even reading. So we compiled a few articles for this. Well, Jason compiled the articles because they were in Dutch. But uh, <laughs> I Google translated through some of the articles and they were talking about like moving to a higher frequency but less routes model. I think that's wrong. For trams, you don't want that. For metro, I would say you do want it. And that's because trams and metro are just different forms of transit. And so for yeah. trams, I think you actually do want kind of direct services to a lot of places but maybe a little less frequency overall. Well, and what I find is that sometimes the trams here have a better service than the metro does. I mean, there are some tram lines that come more than every 10 minutes. Yeah, it's funny because so I spent quite a bit of time in Amsterdam living on Overtoom in the west, kind of near the Vondel Park. Yeah, Overtoom. And yeah, I, I remember the tram definitely came really often there. I remember going between, I think it's Lely Land, you said, that main line station connects to yeah. one of the trams, and it was super convenient. You didn't have to ever wait very long for a tram to show up, and it definitely wasn't 10 minutes. So yeah, I think that Amsterdam's good at trams, so don't abandon tram lines and cut frequencies and stuff. I'm like, yes, please do not abandon tram lines. Oh my god. <laughs> like you've got... This is the thing that cities are desperate to put back, right? They're like heavily regretting what they've done and they're spending billions to put these trams and light rails back. Yeah. Don't take them out in 2023. Now, I don't think there's any plans to tear up the tracks, but still like getting rid of a tram line, I think is insane. And it makes it so much easier to do that, right? To start saying, oh, well, now that the tram's gone, we're going to fill in the tracks. Right. And I really don't think that's acceptable. I just pulled up the schedule here very quickly. And on Overtum, that tram number one comes every four minutes in rush hour. Yeah. So it's better than the M52 Metro. Like, that is what you want. You want to level a service like that. And I would say if Amsterdam wants to do anything with its trams, it should look at what it did with the Amstel tram and kind of speed it up, make it like a more of an express tram. Right. Kind of smarten up the stations, put in the nice fancy trams, like their new ones, I think, if I recall correctly. Yeah, they're new trams, they're double length trams. Yeah. And they have some really nice stations. Yeah, so do that. That's like the solution, especially for these suburban areas, because the trams, as you were saying, they go way out of the city center into the suburbs. And so like, convert some of those to fast trams like that. Yeah. I forget what they're is it the Snell tram or something like that? That's like the <laughs> yeah, name. I mean, that literally just translates as fast tram. But yeah, Snell tram. I always found that really funny because it sounds like snail tram, but it <laughs> means the opposite of it. So, 
Well, I was like, they have the intercity trains and then they have the sprinter trains. Yeah. But a sprint is a very fast thing. But it's the idea that it goes, but sprints are short distances. Yes. So it's supposed to go very quickly, short distances. But a sprint sounds like it should be faster. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, the naming conventions are one weakness here. <laughs> Add it to the list of things wrong with this metro system. <laughs> the trams are really, really quite something. Though I will say, if you're not from Amsterdam, the first time you use a tram and there's, I don't know if they still have the person standing at the back selling tickets. Yeah, they have this giant booth, actually, it's that so takes up weird. a huge amount of space. So yeah, if you want to get a ticket, you like walk in and there's a dude standing there who's staring at you. He's like, uh, I'm just sitting here on the tram. Do you want to buy a ticket? Yeah. So that's interesting. I figure that had to happen in a place with that many tourists just wandering on, not knowing what's going on. They'd all be talking to the driver otherwise. So here's my solution. Get rid of all those people. Don't get rid of them, but train them how to drive metro trains, run more metro trains, and then people can pay off their credit card now anyways. So just We've put... just solved all of yeah. Amsterdam's problems. Essentially, right? Thanks, Biza. Like, basically, <laughs> that's what you need to do. That giant booth that that ticket collector sits in is crazy, though. It's huge. It consumes, like, a huge part of the back of the tram. And I'm like, that could be more seats. Whenever I'm on a tram that's really full, which admittedly doesn't happen that often here because they run so frequently. But when I'm on a tram that's full and I look at that dude sitting there with this huge booth, I'm like, do we need the huge booth? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like a seat. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a very antiquated. I mean, because they used to do that, I think, in the U.S. and like on the old streetcar systems, they had like yeah. a guy who went around selling tickets. But come on, guys, 2023, yeah. we don't need that. No, especially when we've got the debit card and credit card tap payments. Yeah. I am annoyed, though, to read about this proposal of cutbacks because, I mean, the other thing that Amsterdam is doing, and they've been putting this plan in place for at least the last five years, is the Amsterdam Autoloo, which is making Amsterdam mostly car-free. Yeah. And there's no world in which Amsterdam becomes basically car-free without also having better public transit. Absolutely. It's just so important, especially for people who don't necessarily have easy access to the train or who are coming from, say, out of the city. Yeah. Having the metro to get to places in the city quickly, I think is really important because that actually might be what the metro is most useful for, is like you don't need to go. It's not neighborhood transport. It's to obscure location within Amsterdam itself, like the convention center or something. Right. And again, as I said, they do connect very well to almost all of the train stations, the many, many intercity train stations that yeah. exist in Amsterdam. So that's kind of like what the metro should be doing really well. The trams can kind of fill in all of the gaps completely, but the metro needs to get people from the far off locations to their destination. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that really annoys me about this talk about cutbacks and the very, very high fare box recovery ratio is that this... I'm not going to get into it. But the whole neoliberal idea that like these things need to be profitable and things like that. I think City Nerd just made a video about this. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But it annoys me when any city says transit needs to pay for itself, but they don't put road tolls in. I mean, it's especially weird in Amsterdam. Does Amsterdam not have a congestion charge of any kind? They do not. And I think kind that's of amazing. insane. Yeah, I think it's insane. And I've complained about the center of Amsterdam a lot on my channel because, I mean, it's beautiful. It's this UNESCO World Heritage Site. And I understand it's a challenge to do urban planning within a World Heritage Site. Yeah. But there are too many goddamn cars in the center of that city. It is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that the 1960s were not kind to Amsterdam or any city for that matter. The 1960s 
were bad, very bad. And it's certainly a lot of cities got it worse when they had everything bulldozed and highways driven through it. And Amsterdam didn't have that, thankfully, but it was still made way too car friendly just to bring cars into the center. And you're basically bringing a whole bunch of cars into a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And it's insane because if you look at similarly sized cities in Europe, they very often have a huge pedestrianized center, even in, in Germany, right? Definitely, definitely. And congestion charges. Like, and congestion people have this does. belief that they're only a thing in like Singapore, Stockholm, London. But no, like cities in Italy, cities in Germany, they have congestion charges in the city center and even outright bans on certain days, things like that yeah. to cars. And Amsterdam, as everyone's urbanist torchbearer, should obviously have such a system. Yeah, it really, really, really annoys me when politicians are like, public transit should pay for itself and then don't have congestion charges, don't have road tolls. I mean, this is ideologically inconsistent completely. And I just want people in the Netherlands to stop voting for the Veve Day, please. It basically is just populism. It's yes. trying to not make anyone angry. But like the reality is that road space is not an infinite thing. You need to actually make a decision about this. And that means you're going to have to make someone angry. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, like you can say, oh, well, you know, there's more operating costs to transit than there are to roads, but there still are maintenance costs that balloon over time for roads. And then roads get full and then there's a demand to widen them and make more of them and everything else. And that's also part of that equation. And such a huge societal cost, too. Yes. And also, you know, from an equality point of view, the thing that I love about public transit is when it's good. You know, like if you have a society that just where everyone drives, I don't know, you're in like Phoenix or something. The people who are rich get to drive the nice cars and the people who are poor drive a crappy car and have a much crappier time. But like if you have a good public transit system, no matter your income level, you basically get the same experience. And I think that that is like for a society to be fair and for people to feel like they're not being disenfranchised, they shouldn't be like getting the second class citizen treatment when they're trying to get around. Or even the third class citizen treatment if you cannot afford a car in one of those places and need to take the lousy bus system that comes every 45 minutes. Exactly. If you're lucky. Exactly. Yeah. So to close off here, what would you do to improve Amsterdam's metro system? Ooh. Okay. So I would actually... <laughs> Let me get the book. I got Yeah. <laughs> I'd automate it, probably automate it entirely, do a few extensions, like close the loop, probably do the extension to Schiphol. I think you've sold me on that. That does mm. probably make a lot of sense. And also drop the fares way down. I think that one thing that Germany in particular does really well, but also like, hell, even like Montreal does pretty well, is that a pass is cheap. And so you get a lot of people with monthly passes. Right. And then they just sort of feel like, oh, okay, I got the monthly pass. If they need to get around, they're just going to use transit. And so like having a really high ticket price, it's kind of like when there's high gas prices for drivers. If there's a high gas price, people are suddenly really thinking about, do I need to drive? Do I need to drive? And that's good for drivers. But mm -hmm. for transit, you don't want people to think, oh, like maybe if I took the car, it would be cheaper. Or, or like maybe if yeah. I, I didn't get on transit. Or So, so you want to have it more affordable, automate the system to reduce the operating costs, make it a little more extensive, and change the stupid line numbers. <laughs> <Make> them, <laughs> just call them like colored lines or something. 50s come on guys like I, I always found that so weird like that's very unique even like some dutch nouns would be probably easier to remember than this 
All right. Well, there you go. I hope the GVB is taking notes. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Reese. Do you want to quickly advertise your channel here while you have a chance? Sounds good. My channel is RM Transit. I have many videos about transit all around the world, including a number of videos about transit in the Netherlands. So check it out. And thanks for having me on again, Jason. Yeah, no problem. I'll have you on again in the future, too. Thanks for coming. Adios. Thank you so much for listening to The Urbanist Agenda. As usual, all new episodes will be available early on Nebula. So if you're not already a Nebula subscriber, now might be a good time. You can sign up at nebula.tv agenda. And with a subscription to Nebula, you not only support this podcast, you also get access to content by over 150 creators. That's everything from videos to podcasts to classes and more. Nebula is also constantly adding new Nebula originals, which are high-budget productions on a wide range of interesting topics. If you use our link, which again is nebula.tv agenda, you'll get a discount on a yearly subscription, which brings it down to only 30 bucks a year. I'm a big fan of Nebula, which is why all of my Not Just Bikes videos are available there, as well as some that are only available on Nebula, and of course, all episodes of The Urbanist Agenda. So if you're not already a Nebula subscriber, go check it out today. And thanks again for listening.